Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show. I'm Paul Winkler. Talking the world of money and investing. We talk, you know, whatever financial planning type of things happen to be coming up in the news. It's been a couple of really busy, busy days for me. I don't know about you, but boy, I'm tired. <laughs> I've been I'm not tired. You know, it's not a bad tired. It's a really good tired. You know, just being in board meetings and just... Uh, Staying busy, very, very, very busy on, on things. It just, you know, very interesting conversations, though. And, you know, some of those things may leak into just talking. Some of the people I've talked to this week have been just fascinating. I had one conversation. I'll just start with this. It was just a really interesting conversation I was having with a guy. And, you know, it was funny because we got to talking about investing. And he says, so what do you do? And I says, well, you know, I told him what we do. You know, run a registered investment advisory firm. And, and uh, we, you know, I have all these offices all around Nashville and one in Texas. And, you know, just approaching investing, it, you know, came, came at it from the broker route. And, you know, you work for a big investment firm, a bank. Um, you know, securities offered through so-and-so and so-and-so. And, and you work for that company. And you offer whatever they, they happen to have. And um, that's where I came from. I used to, you know, go to work for a company and uh, an investment firm, and I would get an investment list. You know, these are the things that you can sell. This is what you can, you know, put people in. And, of course, you know, you go, okay, well, what's the best stuff in here? You know, what should I be recommending to people? And then, of course, what happened was that, broker dealer actually went out of business. They were, you know, basically going out of, out of business because they were being sued. You know, somebody had done something really stupid and, and ended up being sued. And, and, and the lady that was working in the compliance area said, Paul, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. Beth, what are you going to do? And she said, well, I got to go work for another broker dealer. And I, and I said, I don't know what to do. And she goes, you ought to go, you know, set up and you know, just go set up a registered investment advisory firm. And, you know, because you don't, you haven't sold anything that we sell anyway, because you, <laughs> and I said, yeah, I don't, I don't believe in it. <laughs> that's why uh, it was really rough for me. Uh, so she said, go do that. And I said, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll go do that. Open up the company and then the rest is history. And I, and I said, you know, the, the thing that I was intrigued by was the academic research that was coming out about multi-factor investing, market efficiency. And, and I'm just going on and on, just kind of telling my story. And the guy goes, oh yeah. He says, You'd be amazed how few people you know anything about standard deviation and and use standard deviation. And I looked at him like, how would, what did you, how, why would you know about this? How do you know about this? And he's, oh, you know, I, I like researching. I like understanding, investing, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, uh, yeah, actually, actually, we, we, you know, and without telling much of a story, he just said, this is what we do. And and he mentions the name of of, of of some fund companies, and and I said, "Wow!" And and I said, "That's who I use." And and he goes, "Really?" And it turned out that his investment advisor was a guy I knew, 
And it was one of the few people, and there aren't that many, really, but there was this one guy that he had been working with. He's out of state, didn't live around here. Uh, but it was just interesting because it was like clockwork for him to talk about using academics and investing. Now, what is standard deviation? Why is that so important? Well, let me start off with that because he's the one that brought that up and I was just absolutely shocked. But let's say that you're getting near retirement. You're getting close to retirement and you're trying to figure out, hey, how much money am I going to have? But B, the biggest thing you're trying to figure out is how much income you can take from your investment portfolio. And that is something that is so often overlooked. Most investors don't even know to look at it. And why it's so important is because if we look at markets and you let's say that you get your 401k statement and you see how much income you can take from your investments and what they're projecting that you can take from that, well, that's very, very dependent on a couple key factors. Number one, well, obviously, how much money you got, that's a, that's a big part of it. But an, another really big factor is the expected return. What the return is after inflation or the expected return after inflation of your investment portfolio. So if I know what that expected return is, that's super helpful for telling me how much income I can take. Now, typically what happens is this. We always look at return after inflation. That's what I like to do. And what that means is, is if I look at my investment portfolio, let's say that you're buying CDs right now, and let's say that you get a 4% CD. And you're thinking, hey, hey, I got a 4% CD. Then all of a sudden you look at it and go, well, inflation's four. Well, what's your return after inflation? was zero. So you look at that and go, wow, it's basically I'm going to just be running down the portfolio to keep my standard of living up. It doesn't work really well. You know, so that's one thing that we look at. Now, if we look at a portfolio of stocks and bonds and, and look at various asset categories. You know, like for example, if I look at large US stocks and I use this example many times where you go back and you look at 30 year periods throughout history and you see that the rate of return for large US stocks in every 30 year period is right around 10%. You've probably heard me say that before if you've listened to the show. Well, if we look at inflation adjusted returns for large US stocks, it's about seven. So if we look back through history, we go, okay, so after inflation, it's been about seven. Now, if I'm projecting out at 10%, and I hear people do this, financial people will do this. Well, at a 12% rate of return, you're going to, you know, and you go, well, wait a minute, you're projecting it out at the gross rate of return. I'm not going to know what I'm going to be able to purchase without amount of money in the future. I don't know how much that will purchase. I may look at it and go, well, I'm going to have millions in the future. But then you go, well, how much purchasing power would that money have? So you, if you project out after inflation numbers, now you can look at that number and think of it in today's dollars. If I had $700,000 today, could I retire? And that's the question you ask yourself, if, it, if that's what it indeed projects out to, let's say. You know, and, and then I look at it and go, nope, okay, how much more do I need to put away? Or do I need to adjust my asset mix to change the expected return after inflation? So if we look at small company stocks, you know, you get up around the neighborhood about 9% return after inflation and small value about 11 and, you know, different asset categories around the world will have different expected returns. So that's number one, what we look at, we go, okay, 
how much expected return do I have in the portfolio based on the asset mix? You know, because, and you go, well, how am I going to know that? Well, historically, and we can't project out in the future, know if this is always going to be the case, because you don't know, let's say that all of a sudden the, the whole world comes to an end and there's thermonuclear war and then all bets are off, right? But if you look at things and go, well, let's say the kind of world sort of kind of goes the way it always has. I mean, yeah, they're going to be ups and downs. They're going to be backs and forth and, and all of that. If I look at small companies, I know historically in every, every period of time, every long period of time, the rate of return has been very, very similar. And it's been very similar for large companies that they don't have. I mean, even when you look, go back to the depression, up through World War II and all of that, you see the rate of return of large U.S. stocks is pretty close to what it's been in recent history. It's almost uncanny how close it's been. So what happens is if I know that, if I know what asset categories I'm exposed to, I can come up with a decent idea of what the expected return is. Well, what is so often ignored is, as this guy was talking about, which just floored me that he actually even knew what this was. It was, he was talking about standard deviation and that is how much your portfolio return deviates from the expected return. You know, so if I have a portfolio with a 10% expected return, it's pie in the sky to expect that my return will be 10, 10, 10, then 10, then 10, then 10, you know, gone into the future. I mean, anybody that has ever watched stock markets before knows that it's up 15 down five, up 25, up four, you know, down six. It's, you know, it's back and forth and back and forth. But you know, what happens is that, you know, you look at the returns over five-year periods and it's a much narrower range. If I just look at all the five-year returns all the way through history and I go, wow, okay, so what, what's the return? You know, with uh, let's say four-year returns, let me use that because the, the math works out really well. If I have a standard deviation or if the return deviates by about 20, let's say, for large U.S. stocks. So I go, okay, 10% return. But 68% of my returns throughout history have been anywhere between 10 plus 20. I've been a 30% return and 10 minus 20, negative 10. That's a pretty big range, negative 10 to positive 30. But, you know, if I know that range... I can go, okay, well, you know, if uh, if it's a one-year period, can I handle that, number one? Is that going to drive me absolutely batty is one way that we can look at that. But we can look at it and go, well, if I need this money back in a short period of time, is that negative 10? Is that a deal killer? And negative 30 if we go out two standard deviations, you know, so it's another 20 below that. And go, whoa. But here's what happens. If I look at four-year periods, now what I can do is I can take that standard deviation, 20, because remember, that shows me how big of a range it is. It shows me how much it's going to vary. And I can take that 20 and divide it by the standard deviation. The number of years it comes out to two. My standard deviation drops to 10. Well, man, that goes from 20 down to 10. And if you following me with the variation, I've dropped my variation significantly when I go just out four years. Now, if I go out nine years, I can drop it down to just below seven. You know, so I can continually, and the longer I can go out, I, I could actually drop that. No, well, now if I know my length of time and I know how much it varies like that, and I know how the variance drops 
as I get further along, if you're following any of this, you go, wow, I can get a decent idea on how much money I'll likely have in the future, knowing this information. Why wouldn't you want to know this stuff? Why would financial advisors not want to know this or understand this stuff? And I found that just when I was a broker, they didn't. They had no clue. They weren't taught. We weren't taught this in, in that arena at all. It wasn't until I got into the academic side of the world that we got into that at all. Now, why is that important in retirement? It's way, way important in retirement. Because when I'm in retirement and I'm taking an income, if I have a portfolio that is varying all over the place, it's going way up and it's going way down and it's going back and forth. When it's way down, I'm having to sell more shares. Now, let me put that in, in a number example for you. Okay. So let's say that I had, uh, let's say that I, I had something where something was selling for $25 a share and I needed a hundred bucks. Well, how many shares do I have to sell? Well, I have to sell four shares to get my $25. But if the share price drops down to, to let's say, so it was just 25, let's say, um, let's say 10. Let's say it drops down to 10. When it was $25, I had to sell four shares. Well, when it's only $10, I got to sell 10 shares. I got to sell more than twice as many shares in order to get the same $100. So when the market recovers, I don't own as many shares. I'm sunk. It's a problem. So this is why it's so critical to understand the, the standard deviation of your portfolio. Because what it does is it tells you how likely or is there a likelihood that I'm going to run myself out of shares? Now, I could go and say, well, this is all too complicated and this is too scary. I'm going to put all my money in CDs and now we're down to the rate of return after inflation is zero. And you go, well, that's a bigger problem. <laughs> that's a bigger problem. I don't think uh, that's probably a really good idea to do that. So hence what happens is by ignoring this critical component to investing. Understanding the level of volatility in the portfolio. And a lot of times people say, well, how, what's the likelihood are you going to run out? And they're not even talking about this. They're talking about, you know, if you're, you know, what you're, let's say the, the investment portfolio return, and that's about it. And you don't even really hear about that. Or if you've annuitized, that's a, if, if they're really going down a, <laughs> What many times is a really bad path. Um, as a matter of fact, we were talking about that this week. Uh, we we're talking about uh, you know being really active at Treveca. We got into a conversation about gifting, and and I says, and I was you know we were talking about raising you know funds because we have you know their programs and and you know helping the, the students and and expanding programs and some of the things that are going on are phenomenal. And we're like, well, what can we do? And I says, well, you know, one of the things you can do is look at estate planning. And I said, because a lot of people, you'd be surprised how many own annuities in their investment portfolios. They own non-qualified annuities. And it's an absolutely horrible asset to inherit so many times because of the level of taxation on it. And I said, so a lot of times what I'm having people do is think about if they own one and they've got all this capital uh, tied up in annuities and they have 
a significant amount of gains in them, it might be one of those things where you let your kids inherit or people, general people, you know, if it's not kids, if it's maybe family members, inherit stocks or the non-qualified stock portfolios because you get the step up in basis. It's a lot more tax efficient and let them inherit the annuity because the annuity basically you have uh, so often you have to get this money out in a very, very short period of time, like five years, and then you got to pay taxes on all of it. And it's just, it's can be just a really nasty asset to actually inherit. Uh, so, you know, hence that, but that's a lot of times what people are using as a way of not running out of money. But the problem that you run into is that with annuitization, almost nobody does it because they don't like losing control, but with annuitization comes with most of these products with no kind of cost of living increase. And the products that do have cost of living increases have horrible payouts. So nobody even recommends them. You know, so that's my experience with it is just, you don't see that they recommend it because I've seen some of this stuff and the payouts are just terribly, terribly low. If you want to get a cost of living increase inside of your annuity, you know, so hence that is typically what you hear talked about. Very rarely do you hear people talk about risk and controlling risk and how critical that is in taking an income from your investment portfolio. Listening to the Investor Coaching Show, Paul Winkler, I'll be back right after this. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Coaching Podcast. Now, you may be one of these people that's been listening and realizing, wow, investing, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye and financial planning tax laws constantly changing and recognizing that maybe you might need some help in this area, but you don't want just anybody to help you out. So we have 10 offices in the Middle Tennessee area, and everything we do is fee only. We align our interests with your interests. So you can get an initial 15-minute phone call with any one of our offices just by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. That's it. Every one of the offices is run by somebody with 20 plus years experience. They're all degree planners. They all have academic backgrounds in investing and you can get the help that you need. So if you want to set up a complimentary phone consultation, just go to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. And we look forward to seeing you soon. I just thought it was interesting. I, you know, there was... You get on YouTube and every once in a while you'll see a really popular video will pop up and uh, one popped up about Toyota. I was just talking about the, I don't have to do it by memory because it was something I watched and I was just fascinated, but I didn't really have time to go and look, at, look for any articles on it to see what they were talking about specifically. I found a couple that were interesting, but usually I'll look for something from a really reputable source. And I didn't find stuff that I really jumped all over. But, you know, I have talked about this for a long time. This is one of the things I think is just, it, it's really bothersome uh, for a lot of people, not just me, but a lot of people, uh, where the vehicle world is being driven into you know, electric vehicles, battery only. And people are like, oh, I don't want one of those. You know, it's, it's funny because I, I have kids my son's age tell me, I don't want one of those things. And you think, wow, those would be the ones you'd think would want this really bad, this technology. And they're like, no way. Uh, but um, one of the things that is happening is that we're looking at different technologies that will be coming down the pike that will be 
just revolutionary. And one of them, of course, is hydrogen. I've talked a little bit about that, the hydrogen vehicles and, and Toyota just kind of sit down and we're not looking at this as being a terribly profitable area. Electric vehicles, you know, acquisition of, of a lot of the metals that we need coming out of Russia. We're just not really excited about that, as you can imagine. Uh, Russia, China, you know, different countries that are not necessarily friendly to the United States. We don't want to be dependent upon them for the materials for the vehicles. So a lot of people are not so happy about that. The other thing they're not so happy about, the range has come in a lot lower than what people thought they were supposed to be able to drive or what they claimed that they were supposed to be able to go. The cars are supposed to be able to go for these long, long ranges, and it's not necessarily happening. And that's one of the issues that people have been lamenting. Now, the idea of hydrogen is something that is maybe not necessarily with us right now. In some areas, it's been working out okay. So there's some hope for that. And I've talked about how if we can get some of the technology a little bit better, there's a good shot that we could do something with that. But the one that was not on my radar screen that they were talking about in this particular video was ammonia. And it was talking about how you could actually hit the carbon and the targets with ammonia. And, and I, 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 really, I have no clue how it works. I really don't have any clue how that works and, and what it does. But they seem to be onto something from what I'm understanding. Now, if that ends up being the case, I think it's just interesting from a standpoint of geopolitical I mean, you know, the dependence upon countries that are oil producing countries. I've talked about this before. The oil companies, you go, well, they're the ones that have been stopping this and making it so it doesn't happen. And they've been blocking and, and you know, the oil companies, a lot of them now they're actually doing searches for the technology themselves. But what is really interesting is that they have so much of so much of the profit comes from things that have nothing to do with making fuel. And that was one of the points that was made by, I think it was Exxon. They were talking about, hey, look, we got a lot of things. You, know, you got plastics, you got roads, you got, you know, a lot of things that we use petroleum for that have nothing to do with fueling vehicles and we'll be fine. Now, if that indeed happens and we find some other way of doing things, then maybe the amount of thing, amount of uh, petroleum that we actually or the, the oil that we actually produce in the United States will be plenty to take care of all of our needs in other areas. And then, then we'll make everybody happy regarding the environmental stuff that, you know, people are so concerned about. But uh, I think that to me is a really hopeful type of a piece of news. I think that's something that is worth watching, taking a look at, and you'll bet, you know, I'm going to actually going to be doing some reading about that. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about it what it might lead to and where we might see some changes down the road. And, and that was another topic of conversation I had with so many people here locally. Of course, we had, as you well know, the dubious distinction of being the number one worst traffic city in the country, right? And you go, oh, so hence my always talking about flying over the city in your own personalized uh, hovercraft or, you know, the Jetsons. And, you know, of course, there is actually a there's actually a uh, a drone. It's kind of like a drone type of a, a vehicle that's called the Jetson or the Black Fly, as I've talked about. You know, there are a lot of different 
operational vehicles out there, the one that was actually approved by the FAA as, as, uh, as well. And, and we're going to have to deal with these types of things. You know, because people say, well, you know, we needed a train a long time ago. You know, somebody had actually said that to me. We needed a train a long time ago in this city. And I go, yeah, but you know, the NIMBYs are going to kill that. Who wants that thing in your backyard, right? No, not in my backyard, NIMBY. You know, so hence, it's probably going to be some of those technological innovations that come from flying cars that are going to be taking us out of this problem. So I'm very hopeful about those types of things. Looking forward to seeing how that all plays out. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. You want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there. And if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more competent investors and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.